Hello and welcome to Lead Time. My name is Anna Ramich. And I'm Chris Ackbergen. And this is the third episode of our special limited podcast series in which we present how Germany should move on from Merkel and bring you the most pressing items on the foreign policy to-do list for Germany's new government. As Europeans, we have been exposed to increasing attempts of economic coercion. Uh, I have uh, referred to that at some point also as the privatization of foreign policy, where decisions that have traditionally been made by governments or uh, supranational bodies like the EU are now basically put into the decision-making of individual companies and managers making these decisions under totally different arguments and priorities. We have to fully grasp the consequences that as we move into a world that Mark Leonard once has described as a world of connectivity wars, economic interdependencies can be exploited and will be exploited by others. And we need to prepare for that by building resilience, by reducing this asymmetry. Germany voted, but the answer to the question, who will lead the country, remains unanswered for now. During the campaigning months, not many words were said about Germany's role in Europe and the world. Yeah, that's weird. And as we heard at the outset of this episode from Andreas Nick, former member of the Bundestag, we are living in a deeply connected world. Germany simply cannot detach itself from global issues and focus on domestic politics. You're right. This will be a challenge for the next government, and we can assume it is a point of serious discussion of the currently ongoing coalition building talks. Especially when we look at world views of the two parties, the Greens and the Liberal FDP, that are said to be the kingmakers of the next German government. Which brings us to the topic of this week's episode, economics playing as the leitmotif for all FDP voters and the refrain for many Europeans when it comes to Germany's leadership in Europe. So it is in fact quite surprising that the data you have shown tells us that uh, 37% of Europeans actually think this is the policy area where Germany could take a lead on economic and financial issues. So obviously, when we think about those challenges, and here China comes, comes into play, I think Europeans are deeply aware of the fact that it is now about defending a European model and European self-interest in a world that is actually weaponizing economic and financial tools against the EU. And then it is quite natural that you turn towards the largest economy uh, and leadership of the largest country with the largest economy to expect that if this country moves into the right direction, Europe could in the end be better off. What would that mean? And that's interesting because here the conflict for the next government may come into play. In order to make the EU a stronger player in financial terms and in order to enhance the role of the Euro, we have to do internal homework, which to some extent this outgoing German government has blocked. Uh, because of the difficulties on advancing with banking union, the lack of ambition to move forward with capital markets union. All those things move onto the agenda if there is an aspiration to have someone uh, lead Europe in financial and economic terms globally.
Daniela Schwarzer, Executive Director for Europe and Eurasia of the Open Society Foundations, refers here to recent ECFR polling data, which seems a bit paradoxical at first when you think of Germany's austerity course during the Merkel years. Yeah, she didn't really make a lot of friends in Southern Europe with these policies, but I guess this is turned with Berlin's active engagement and support of the COVID recovery plan. All this aside, Germany is the economic powerhouse of the EU, and we all know that with great power comes also great responsibility. So it is really high time that Germany adopts a new approach to protecting its economic model. Andreas Nick again. We need to be able and willing to strengthen European resilience against these external measures. I think we have been, from my perspective, overly reluctant so far to even apply instruments that we have already have at hand. It is somewhat against our fundamental philosophy of free and open markets and cooperation in international affairs. I think we could have been much more rigid on a number of examples. If we want to be more resilient, we need to very carefully assess where our vulnerabilities are in terms of economic and technological asymmetries. So I would see this as a key priority also to have a medium to long term strategy to reduce those asymmetries, to reduce vulnerabilities. The more so if those asymmetries, these interdependencies are no longer embedded in the framework of a rules-based international order that contains potential use and abuse of these asymmetries. So political risk has become more prevalent and has become probably more intolerable. What I think we have to get prepared for is a permanent interference of geopolitical actions go in a sort of a web of economic interdependence that remains largely in place. And the question then is, how can you address this permanent risk that interdependence is being weaponized in this, in this regard by you know, using the fact that you're relying on your sort of global sourcing as a way to control what you're doing? We've got to, to think economic relationship, international economic creation in completely different terms. Foreign policy makers now face a world in which power is increasingly measured and exercised in, in economic terms. You know, how economic relations are managed should not be left to economists. It should be uh, mastered by, by foreign policy people. Mm-hmm. Preparation and prevention is key, as we heard last from Jean Pisani Ferry from the think tank Bruegel. Already in the past, Europe and also Germany have felt the consequence of coercion and secondary sanctions. I guess the most prominent example for Germany is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project, which has been subject to sanctions by the US. A close ally of Germany and Europe above all. Exactly. And even if Germany and the US now come to somewhat of an agreement concerning that pipeline, the bilateral relationship has suffered somewhat because of these measures in the past. That also shows that Germany and Europe are not immune to coercive threats, and they can even come from allies. But I guess the bigger threat is China, though, no? When it comes to coercive measures. That is true. The pressure actually comes from both sides. Europe faces the risk of being stuck in the middle, as ECFR policy fellow Jonathan Hackenbroich explains. 
broadly speaking for Europe, the, the challenge is, is threefold or it's, it's three things that are worrying European companies and European uh, decision makers. And it's not just number one, that the rules-based order is fraying through the bilateral competition between the US and China. And, uh, you know, something that Europeans really rely on, given they want to trade with the world and, and are oftentimes uh, big exporters. But it's also that when the US and China are going at each other, that creates collateral effects. That's the second point. And the really, really worrying part, and that we've seen recently ever more, is that actually in doing so, or explicitly in targeting Europeans, these two countries increasingly determining who Europeans can trade with and who Europeans are not allowed to trade with. And they tie it to specific goals oftentimes. And there's a number of other areas where, where things like these are happening. And to the point that we now see European state officials becoming targets and this most disturbingly for, for Europeans from, from the US side of the project of Nord Stream 2, which really has, has shown to Europeans how vulnerable they are to these kinds of measures. And I'll just give you a list of the ones where we don't have instruments as Europeans to, to defend ourselves or to protect our state officials, our companies and so forth. And those are punitive tariffs, where tariffs aren't just an unfair economic instrument, but where they get used to uh, as, as economic coercion trade curbs, sanctions, export controls, data transfers, oftentimes cross-border data transfers. What China will be doing, what in some ways the US is doing already, is using its upstream products in a supply chain. Beijing and Washington are starting to say, you guys, you Europeans have to come to us and, and ask for a license so you can do that. So we want to determine if you can trade with them or not. So that is very, from a sovereignty perspective, but also from a company's perspective, this is uh, something that many in Europe are extremely worried about. Yeah, I hear that. Looks like Germany as an export-orientated economy is particularly vulnerable to economic blackmail in a geo-economical great power competition. Indeed, and that is why it's so important that Germany leads this process and makes sure that Europe will be less exposed to risks of economic coercion. Absolutely. But we've talked in depth about China here on Lead Time. It appears to me that a reinvention of China policy and Germany's economic policies are closely interconnected. I agree. Elizabeth Rosenberg, program director at the Center for a New American Security, lists some concrete threats that China could pose to the European and German economy. From the Chinese side, there's a, a variety of instruments, including cutting off access to trade and to markets, specific company level targeting. There's the development of a, their form of an entity list, if you will, as well as the potential use of a corporate social credit system to tag and constrain certain economic actors, whether Chinese or foreign. And that's sort of the universe of what we're talking about here. This is not, of course, the only way that the United States and China are leaning on economic instruments to advance foreign policy or national security goals. There's also this realm of incentives or cooperative activities, economic activities that nevertheless may have the effect of constraining political choices or creating a kind of dependency or manipulation in a political relationship. So that's what we're talking about here. This poses some serious risks and threats to those two actors 
and to many other ones in which they are in economic and political relationship. So the threats are real and here to stay. But of course, Germany and Europe are not completely unarmed, or are they? No, of course not. The European Commission is currently in the process of designing an anti-coercion instrument, the so-called ACI, which would allow Europe to take countermeasures against third country coercion and act as a deterrent against coercive practices. Sounds technical. Sabina Veand from DG Trade explains it a bit more in detail. We cannot watch on as others weaponize trade. We need to be able to respond. If the instrument works, we will not have to use it. So this is an instrument you want to put into your shop window, ideally never to have to use it. And that is why when we look at the design of the measure, we have to make sure that it is not an instrument for escalation, but for de-escalation. We would be aiming for a very broad scope in theory so that we can tailor make the threat of action to the concrete action we are counteracting. So tariffs and trade curbs, yes, uh, investment, public procurement access. We are also looking at intellectual property. But that's all on an EU level. Needless to say, fighting economic coercion is a European task, but each member state needs to do its homework too. And as stated before, Germany, as the EU's biggest economy, should serve as a spearhead. So let's get concrete. What are the necessary steps the new German government needs to take in order to strengthen Germany's and Europe's resilience against economic coercion? Our policy fellow and leader of ECFR's task force for protecting Europe from economic coercion gives us a clear idea. The next German government will need to adopt certain concrete policy measures to increase the resilience of Germany's and Europe's economic model in a new difficult phase of globalization. Great powers, and we've seen this um, over the last years, are using trade links, sanctions and threats to European companies to, to change European policies, German policies. And um, the new chancellor and the new government should push the EU to defend free and rules-based trade more strongly with more, put more heft into it and equip Europe with the right tools to do so. This involves promoting innovation and growth, but also putting in place an economic deterrent because in the new era, this is how you could probably best and if most effectively defend. It should establish an EU resilience office that actually helps businesses under pressure, reform the blocking statute to address new challenges, including from China, and strengthen the euro and approve the EU's competition policy reform. The new administration will decide whether the EU can take countermeasures against economic coercion and it should support this anti-coercion instrument. Only if third countries know that the EU can impose damage on them if they threaten or impose sanctions, punitive tariffs, trade curbs, can the EU avoid further damage to rules-based trade. But in addition, the new leaders must make sure that this EU anti-coercion instrument is a de-escalation instrument. So one that does not promote protectionism or escalation of trade conflicts, but actually helps rules-based trade. China's March sanctions against European individuals, but also companies, have shown that Europe needs the next German government to make the EU more resilient against economic and financial sanctions. Donald Trump has exposed the EU's vulnerability and China is increasingly now in a position to use similar tactics. 
Beijing will do so in the future. To wrap up, the new German government will need to take decisive steps to build Europe's resilience as a major part of the renewal of its economic policies. Because if the EU is not strong enough, it will find itself isolated in this new geopolitical reality. And Germany's economy, the well-oiled EU engine of growth, could become the EU's Achilles heel. So Germany, it's time to lead. Find out more about our ideas for how to shape the foreign policy agenda of the next German government by going to ecfr.eu forward slash podcasts or simply Googling ECFR German Elections 2021.